Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And if your child is as obsessed with Super Y, Blue's Clues, Daniel Tiger, or any of this highly successful TV producer shows as mine are, then you're about to be the coolest mom on the block. That's right. Today's guest is none other than Angela Santamero, the 30-time Emmy-nominated producer behind some of your kids' favorite TV shows. She has been changing the way children watch TV for more than 20 years. Okay, she is the creator, executive producer, and writer for award-winning kids and family content for PBS, for Nickelodeon, for Amazon Studios and Netflix. And we are so excited to get to talk with her today about all of her motivation and research and creative process behind putting these beloved, highly educational, especially from an emotional standpoint, highly emotionally educational and also curriculum educational shows. You know, plus, I I know that we always talk about what we should allow our kids to watch and not watch, how much they should, how much they shouldn't. There's so much media content available for kids, and we're Mm going to ask her about what kinds of shows we should be letting our kids watch. Here's our conversation with Angela Santamaro. This is a fact. I'm Angela Santamaro. I am the Chief Creative Officer of Nine Story Media and the co-creator of Blue's Clues, the creator of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Super Y, and other kids' favorites. Excellent. And where can we follow you? Angela's Clues. Angela'sClues.com, Angela's Clues on Twitter, all of that. So Angela, I feel like, first of all, I, when, in reading your bio, I was like, wait, she created that show and that show and that show. I mean, literally so many of the most popular and and truthfully most like as a parent, joyful shows that when my kids are watching them, I'm like, I, I know they're learning. I know it's accessing part, parts of their psychological development that's challenging to get to when they're little. I know it's encouraging all different kinds of um, awareness that, that you know, you want to be gentle about, but also certainly in today's climate, you want to be thinking about. And I could not get over your creative bandwidth. Um, Super Y, which I'm so tempted to sing the theme song to right now, but I will spare all of you. And Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood and Blue's Clues back in the day. And I mean, just really, um, again, powerful, positive, incredible shows that have stood the test of time and that so many kids have uh, loved, including my own. I'm curious, um, and I, I would, I want to get into some of the creative build around those two and, and what got you excited. Again, reading your bio, like just to see how cool um, – your background was in in early childhood psychology, especially. But just because we are in the current climate, and every parent is thinking about how am I, how am I going to be active and participate in the right now, but also how am I going to help my kids be the kind of citizens I want them to be to you know to 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 be good stewards of this going forward. As a creative and as someone who's created so many great shows like this, are how. What does it make you think? Like, are you already brainstorming new shows that need to be in existence? Are you thinking of ways to modify platforms that are there? Like, what are you, what's your sort of creative wheel doing right now? Yeah, so many things. We're just so proud of the fact that we have some characters that are currently on TV that we can actually use that platform to talk to kids. So we just relaunched the new Blue's Clues with Josh. Mm -hmm. She's fantastic. 
Um, and that's kindergarten readiness as well as socio-emotional skills, right? And Daniel Tiger is also, we have strategies literally that parents can use to this day. So we are doing a special and fast tracking it and trying to get it out where we can sing along to some of the Daniel Tiger strategies that are really the most useful, right? From your big emotions that you're feeling to that disappointment of not being with your friends. Um, these are real little ones, right? That parents can actually sing and read along with their kids. Um, and for Blue Schools, we're doing like a play date with Josh online so that in addition to the show, you can feel like you're able to learn and play with one of your friends from the shows. And then we're always talking to, you know, I have a, I'm, I can geek out on you with my research background, but we're always yes, talking <laughs> to <love> experts, <laughs> uh, experts in the area. We go out to kids once a week and now they're at least once a week and now there's Zoom sessions that we do so that we're getting feedback on specific shows as well as mm. what do kids need now and what do kids need a year from now when we're, when the shows that we're actually making right the second potentially some of the shows will go on the air um, a little while down the road. Wow. What does that look like? You show them a clip and then they give you their feedback or you have like a little discussion afterwards? Yeah. So back in the day, we started with taking some of our production budget and being able to create this lean and mean research department where we were the first ones to do formative research on Blue's Clues. And so what we do is we create almost a storybook of the actual second draft of a script um, and we create visuals for that script and then we create a protocol and the team will bring it out to kids. They literally read the script, not the action notes, of course, but like read the script with the with the pictures and record what the kids are doing, saying, leaning in, running from the room. Um, are they learning what we set out for them to learn? You know, um, when Malcolm Gladwell was writing The Tipping Point, he came and hung out with us and followed us and wrote oh, about amazing. the show. Amazing. <laughs> I love that book. Such a great book. Such, Such a, a good, good book. book, right? And so he just talked about that research process and how we can make our show sticky you know, because it's not that we want kids to just learn what they're learning on the show, but to take that learning with them. Um, and so that was really important. So yeah, that feedback uh, on Zoom, we can do it similarly, right? Where we're showing, we're sharing our screen, we're showing the visuals, we're reading the scripts and the kids are interacting. And what's really cool about Zoom is that we get some parents too, because they're there. And so they're giving us feedback at the same time. That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I really appreciate about your shows is that my kids aren't going to come away from it learning something bad. Like the words that they, they're like, well, and they'll see a show and they're like, well, that person said stupid. I'm like, great. Well, we're not going to say stupid. Or, well, this person did this to their friend or their sister or their brother. So I'm going to do the same thing. And I know that the shows that you've created are, they will come away with like really good lessons. So it's also for, for a parent, especially right now when we are around our kids all the time and Daphne and I both have four very little kids. Um, it's a lot and it's nice to be able to allow your child to watch a show and then you can take a moment and step away rather than having to be there be like, wait, do I need to stop this? Do I need to fast forward it? Do I need to discuss exactly what happened here? But really just give yourself a little bit of a, a pause and a break. Right. And I say that I've been saying that since I started this career, which is the idea that you do not have to let your, you feel guilty about letting your kids watch TV when mm -hmm. you're choosing that quality content. And we believe so much in peer modeling, right? That idea. And it's all research-based that kids are literally going to model what they see on TV similarly to the way they would do with, with friends. And if anything, if Daniel Tiger eats broccoli, they're more likely to eat broccoli than if we try to get them to eat broccoli. So there's such a strong affinity for these characters. And we want to make sure that, you know, you would literally want them, the characters to come into your living room. You're opening the door to your living room. So that respectful language and dialogue is something we take you know, really seriously. And so there's always a kindness curriculum that kind of runs through every show that we don't really scream about or talk about because 
of how much we want that model throughout every day and not make such a big deal about it, right? It's in the it's in the background. It's something that we do all the time. These characters are almost, if not as influential as, as parents. And so they really come alive. And exactly what you're saying, well, if Daniel Tiger is eating broccoli, I'm going to eat broccoli. Whereas if my mommy tells me I'm going to eat broccoli, I'm not going to eat broccoli. <laughs> and um, and it really is true. I mean, I, I know for my two-year-old right now, he just turned two the other day. If you put a shirt on him that has Daniel Tiger on it, the whole day is about his T-shirt. He's like <laughs> so excited. And it's something that's so, you know, simple and so innocent. But it's just like life-changing. Like this is on my shirt and he's with me the whole day. But, you know, it's it's interesting. I would love to – I'd love to hear about sort of how you began thinking about creating something like this because so many times we look at our kids and they – we're like, oh, well, they just want to be naughty right now or they want to do the bad things or, you know what I mean? Whereas, you know, to come and have a vision for good and say, hey, you know what? Our kids can be entertained and entertained so much that that this person is more influential than I am in many circumstances um, and create something that has, has lasted for a very, very, very long time. And my, I mean, my kids are still watching. I can imagine that, you know, in 10 years, kids are still going to be watching it. Um, what was that idea like? What was everybody's feedback right at the beginning? Did people go with it or you, did you have to really fight for it? Yeah. First of all, I want to say that we're always partnering with parents because they are the first teachers and so influential and so smart. So I just want to make sure that we know that we're always thinking about that. But you know, when I first started, I was thinking, okay, I come from a family of teachers. Maybe I could go and teach. Maybe I can. And then I thought if I could really put the best of a preschool or a kid's curriculum into a show, I could reach millions and millions of kids every single day, right? What could we do? How could we do that? Um, and Blue's Clues was a game show. So with Nickelodeon, it was like, this is a game show. This is how we've been trying to think about Double Dare for older kids. This is Double Dare for preschoolers, right? We're going to give them time to interact. Mm -hmm. We're going to give them time to scream at the TV, but purposefully, right, where they're part of the show. And then, again, geeking out, we did research to show that the kids are practicing these skills when they're playing these games, right? It's all about play. It's all about silly. It's all about getting them involved. It's all about having them being intrinsically motivated. They want to be there. They want to be friends with our characters, right? They want to try something, fail something, you know, do all the mistakes they can through this kind of experience. And so this interactivity and this way to play with a kindergarten curriculum, a kindergarten readiness curriculum, basically everything that they, our goal was everything that they needed to learn um, before kindergarten, they learned from Blue's Clues. That was the goal. And so the first 20 episodes, you could see, I almost like threw everything in there in case they never let me do it ever again. <laughs> and then we did like 200 episodes of the show and continuing. So yeah, we had more to say, but um, you know, it's definitely was something that nobody understood at the network. I mean, nobody understood in general what we were trying to do. It was 1995. I'm totally dating myself. So we did a split screen about the way Steve was talking to the camera and the way the kids were responding to him that blew everybody away. Cause if not, you look at it and it's so slow and the pausing is there and it's a very Mr. Rogers type pacing. And then when you watch kids screaming and interacting and learning, you're like, oh, I get it now. So that's interesting, actually, because the, the pacing of it's interesting because a lot of the critiques that that you – well, not, it's not even a critique. It's like a necessary evolution, right? Because when I was a kid, it was Sesame Street. And then when my my younger sister came along, it was like Barney. Like there were not that many shows that were available for um, educational children's programming. And the the sort of idea was always that – 
kids are kids are too fast paced in their own sensory just processing now in terms of they need to be hyper stimulated. They like if 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 my children sat down and watched Sesame Street, would they still be engaged by it? Would they still find it dynamic enough to stick around and and be um, intrigued by? And I'm what you just said is so true. Actually, Daniel Tiger in in specific is is pretty slow in its pacing. It's very um, it's still exciting, of course, but it's very it like gives kids times to process and it does invite that moment of like interactivity and coming back and thinking of something. How do you how have you been able to hold on to that? I don't know, like old fashioned childhood <laughs> element without making, you know, without losing kids who are used to a much more bam, bam, bam in your face idea. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating because it's almost one of those things where you can see the adult behind the kid's show when you, when you're kind of throwing things at them. It's like that birthday party mentality of like, oh, I'm going to entertain you. And now it's um, the petting zoo and now it's the bubble and guy and now it's the chocolate fountain. Like, <laughs> and meanwhile, you watch and your kid is like jumping off the same rock like for 20 minutes and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, no, it's the empty Amazon box. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even care what came in it, the empty Amazon. Box. Right? It's so true. So I think that having that child development background and the ability to go back to the research roots and go back to kids to kind of let them lead really helps to kind of get through some of the um the pitching, right? Getting 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 through like why the show is the way that it is, why the kids need the show now. And so I kind of lend lend that foundation when I'm starting something. And then the proof's in the pudding, right? The ratings are there. The business is there, the brand is there. And so because of that, we're able to open that up more and talk about the formal features and why we're doing what we're doing and then trying to tackle so many different areas, right, with the different shows, which is the reason why I tended to open it up and work with my team to do different curricular areas because there felt like there was a need, right? The idea to work with PBS on something, there's a need there. And so that's where the um, the other shows started to open up and, and come to fruition. And do you um, now, now that, you, like you said, you know, Blues had 200 plus episodes. Uh, I don't even know how many Daniel Tiger must have. I, I own like 80 books. <laughs> do you just open like a childhood psychology text and kind of go chapter by chapter? How do you, or is it, or is it that you try to weave that into a storyline you already have in mind? Or how do you sort of bite size and make the, make the story continue to grow while covering new topics? Like where do you, I guess it's more of a creative question. How do you keep the material fresh and new and, and, um, and, you know, episode after episode of these projects? So we have, um, the most amazing team in all of kids TV. It takes about nine months to do one episode. Right. And so nine months. Yeah. It's like making a baby. <laughs> wow. That, um, I had no idea. And we do multiple episodes and multiple series at the same time. Right. So you're constantly, moving things through. And so we have a writer's room. We have um, researches. Uh, our head of research is always in the room at the writer's table. We have the producers there. Everybody's kind of around the table looking at what it is that we want to do. We do a brainstorm at the beginning for Daniel Tiger. We obviously work with the Fred Rogers production company um, specifically on their curriculum, on Fred's vision, on what they would, how, how we would take a topic that's relevant today and spin it to make sure that it meets that socio uh, socio emotional curriculum specifically from Fred, and so there's a ton of brain power that goes into it. And I would say all the child development theory is something that we know and we digest, and then the creative is first, right? And so the creative comes from being with the kids. It's from the conversations that parents are having. It's from what we want to say to kids right now. Like there's so much going on in my writer's room right at this very moment. Like what are we doing? And, re- and looking at all the series to make sure that we're hitting kids 
where as better humans, right? And citizens of the world. As you're saying that, my mind starts kind of wondering, are these, what is going on right now with both COVID and, um, and the, the different race conversations that are coming up, right? I mean, that have been there all along. It's just everybody is getting much more involved right now. Um, are these things that you guys are thinking about processing and putting into, into your shows? Yeah, we've always tried to do that. We've all, we can always be better and do better, but we've always tried to do that. So, um, on super Y princess Presto, um, is our African-American princess who, you know, when she gets her superpower, she gets this huge dress, you know, like instead of having to always be the one that's like wonder red, that has to be the wonder woman. Like we're trying to showcase throughout all of the series, as many different kids as possible and how they interact and how they work. And we work with different consultants to make sure that the designs and the scripting and all of that, you know, we know what we know and we know what we don't know. And so we have a robust team to do that. When we brought in uh, Lady Elaine and Daniel Tiger, we brought in a new character, Music Man Stan, and then they have Miss Elena. And so we were able to showcase um, different families and what different families look like and just how those relationships occur and, and celebrating differences and talking about them and getting up close and personal the way you can do with a preschool show. You know, and now we're looking at it with older kids shows, which is, again, talking about things and getting it out in the open and being messy and, you know, asking those questions and not being afraid to ask those questions and learn. And that's um, the way we've been approaching um, all of our shows and our scripts. You have two daughters. Is that right? Or, or three? Two? two. You look very, very young. I can't. I don't know how old you are, but I assume you Blue's Clues you created before you had children. Is that right? Yes. So what I mean, first of all, what was that like, you know, and and uh, how has it how has being this invested in kids for so long and and knowing how they develop so well affected or influenced your parenting strategy? That's such a great question. Um, I have a little brother. I was 14 when he was born. So I feel like I've been following kids, you know, and being that babysitter my whole life. And I'm 13 years older than my brother. I know exactly oh, what you're not talking funny? about. He's yeah. got the best self-esteem out of anybody <laughs> that I know, right? Um and my own kids, like the funny things will be like, don't Daniel Tiger me, mom, you know, like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but they also get, they get media, get the power of it. They give me notes. They've given me feedback. They feel proud. You know, when we go to a live show, hopefully one day we'll go again with millions of kids, you know, millions, but you know, hundreds of kids at a time. And so they have that proud feeling. And I think from a parenting standpoint, you're just always, I feel like you're always like, oh my God, like if I could only parent the way that I write Mon Tiger, which I can't, you know, <laughs> like it's not necessarily going to happen, but it is that, you know, more conversation, more talking. And now they're 19 and 16. And so they're, they're teaching us so many things now. Have you ever thought about creating shows as they've grown older? Did you want to push into that? I mean, certainly it feels like such a ripe opportunity to create programming for, for that age group. And you obviously are, you know, have grown with them. Um, have you, have you thought about that or is that something that interests yeah, you? Yeah, it is of course. And I've always, I've definitely been thinking about it. I think the idea of, um, putting as much thought as we do and all of the content for any age group, you know, and I think when I look at the adult, you know, the shows that I watch, the idea that somebody is as thoughtful about the storylines and I want that for the teenagers and some of the shows that we know have really affected kids, right. in in a way that, uh, we're not proud of, you know, in terms of a 13 reasons why and looking at some of the research and I'm not, it's not a judgment. It's more of an understanding of the way that media impacts our kids and our kids' brains and, uh, and being able to be available to them, to be able to have those conversations, right? I think everything is 
an opportunity to talk about stuff. And, um, you know, we went to Dear Evans Hansen three times, right? Because there was so, my kids were at that age to really dig in and talk about it. And, um, you know, so media is really that, that place to do that. So as I think about the older kids stuff, I'm totally thinking about how social media has changed my kids and what that looks like, um, and how we can support that. But, you know, with me, I'm always very methodical about the way that I think about things. So it might take a little bit longer <laughs> to put something together. By the time our kids are ready to have <laughs> right. yeah. Daniel Tiger in college, that would be helpful. <laughs> How'd you get Fred Rogers' team involved? So when I um, was doing Blue's Clues, so I was a crazy, I'm like not a crazy fan, but I was definitely a major fan as I was the Sesame Street generation and the Mr. Rogers generation, but I would um, lean in so close to Mr. Rogers. And so I ended up like, this is too much information, but writing a paper on him in eighth grade. And, you know, and, and then, uh, when Blue's Clues was created, I used some of the formal features that Fred had talked about. And so they noticed. And so I started to become, I, I got connected with Fred and became mm. friendly with him. And we, he could see the child development in Blue's Clues. Then he didn't like much of what was on television at all, which is also why I went into it. And he liked Blue's Clues. And so we became friends. And so after he died, the team said, you know, we want to promote his legacy. And the only person he would trust would be you. So what would you do? That's got to feel so cool. I I mean, to have, you know, that seal of approval from your idol, it's it's really special. And it's, and it it makes perfect sense. I do think, I mean, it's, it, now it feels so commonplace. Now we have this, we have shows like Mom Brain. We have such a dialogue about how to parent consciously, not, not to claim in any way that we are like doing anything that is novel, but I think that it's a very, um, a very commonplace discussion now that parents are, are aware of all of these little nuances of how every interaction we have with our kids is, is building their internal voice, is building their internal dialogue. But I think when you created Blue's Clues, I don't, I don't know that that was as much of the zeitgeist. I don't know that that was, I, I think, you know, parents were still doing a great job, but it might not have been as thought about um, in, such a, in such a regular and sort of um, like discussed way. And it has, I, I think back on that and wonder if um, maybe if you were aware of how revolutionary it was going to be and if, if there were like battles that you can, because we think a lot about, we're, do, we're doing some fun new series um, here with the podcast on mom bosses and, and talking to moms specifically about creative ideas they have and how to start executing them and how to start, um, you know, where, where to begin. And I know I'm sure there are lots of moms sitting um, who will be listening to this thinking look. Like, about shows they might like to create or content they might like to create. And hearing from someone like you who's been so successful to be able to hear maybe some of the stumbling blocks or, you know, uh, just difficulties you might have had at the outset, people whose minds you had to change or convince to see the world your way would be really empowering if you can think of an example or two. Yes. It's such a great question because it's always, um, you know, when you're trying to be a leader and you're trying to innovate and you're trying and you're thinking ahead, there's always a conversation to be had. And there's always something where I've, I've viewed it as educate and I've gotten frustrated. And sometimes when I get frustrated, I'm more articulate about the vision and what needs to happen. Right. And I think at the time when Daniel was coming out, the conversation was about hardcore curriculum and media And I had to really make a case for socio-emotional and why that's the ground. That's really the foundation of everything else. If they can't sit and listen, they're not going to learn anything, right? And so there's Mm -hmm. so many of those kinds of lessons that need to be sowed and all those seeds need to be sowed before they can do anything else. And so I had to take that stance of, okay, here's the research, here's the background. I can't assume everybody knows everything that that we do or have dug into this as much as we have, and we're going to have to continue to talk about it. And sometimes that takes a while. And for Blue's Clues, like we were really had to, um, first of all, Nickelodeon 
gave us an opportunity that never would have happened, I feel, and that opportunity to fail and try something and do it really under the radar. Um, and then being innovative about showcasing why it works and how it works and bringing kids in and videotaping them watching and doing our homework, right? And I think that's the that's the way to do it is to not is to never give up. There's some shows, there's a show that I'm just getting going now that, um, you know, I have been trying to get going for a while and sometimes the world's just not ready for it, right? And so you just can't, you just got to keep going from different angles and really look at it as an opportunity because you're innovating. I always love it when people don't get it right away because then I think we're onto something. <laughs> now this this might sound kind of strange, but um, I my kids started watching it. I speak Spanish. My family lives in Spain and my kids speak Spanish. And so my kids started watching Pistas de Blue, which is the Spanish version of Blue's Clues. Was this something that you guys did or did somebody else, did somebody else just go and translate it or? Both. We do, we do localized, back in the day, we did localized versions of the show where you had a localized host. And so in the UK and in other areas of the world, there was a host that was specifically created and shot into the animation mm. to represent that country and that area. And then, and then other ways we've, we've literally just dubbed the show to make sure that we have it in that language. And sometimes there's some creative license there because you want to make sure that it's really authentic and genuine and makes sense. Um, so for all of, for all of the shows, we're always looking at that. We're looking at, um, ASL. We look at, you know, we look at so many things to try to make sure we're inclusive of all kids as much as possible. Um, can I ask you a question about YouTube with the growing number of screens and different sizes and things like that on, uh, in most households and the way that people consume content on a platform like YouTube specifically, and also the, the like specific types of YouTube, like, I mean, you know, unboxing for kids and watching someone play with Play-Doh or like, and that, you know, or watching someone play with a new toy or thing, that seeing how sticky that can be for a lot of kids, does that, um, you know, it's, it's certainly not as in depth of a story development, creative mold as the other shows that you've worked on, but uh, do, does it make you think about bringing in that audience or trying to develop off of like what, what, when you see stuff like that happening, what does it make you think? Well, it's fascinating, right? And it depends on the age group that we're talking about. And so we do, um, you know, I love to look at what's popular, what's going on, why is it working, what's happening, and then look at the pros and cons of it, right? So for YouTube, the idea that creators can get something up and going is lovely. So I have a ton of information on views with people who want to be creating, and I'm like, go, create, get it out there. You know, you don't necessarily have to wait for a network to be behind you, um, which is fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for my own kids, watching what they're watching as teenagers is also interesting and informs what we do. And then watching that unboxing and some of the sticky stuff for little ones has, um, it's kind of like, I look at it as a, as a variety of food that we have that we offer our kids. Right. And so okay, there's yeah. something different that you're giving them when you're giving them the short bits on YouTube. Right. And it depends on what it is. Is it a short bit? That's a song from a show that they know, or is it something that's unique and specific? Is it playing with toys? Is it watching kids play video games? Like what is it that they're getting and why? And I'm just a believer in the storytelling. And I am a believer in having that longer attention span and giving kids moments you know, there's definitely a way to write so that the little ones are really going to watch something for 22 minutes or so. So they're really getting, you know, story comprehension out of it. And they're thinking they're making up their own opinions and their minds about stuff. Um, they're critical thinking. That's, that's not what you're getting, right? When you're watching these short videos. So what can we do to view and do? What can we do to, I always talk about like using media instead of letting it use you. So if I'm interested mm -hmm. in owls, oh, there's so a good. million yeah. videos you could watch about mm -hmm. owls, right? I want to learn something particular. You can watch that. So it's that kind of thing. Um, you know, my kids missed the YouTube phase when they were little. 
So I'm dealing it with it more now. from the teenage level. Well, I mean, it is exactly that attention span. One of the things that I get concerned about when um, my kids have gone through phases with with YouTube and YouTube kids where I literally will take it away for a period of time because all they will do is just change, you know, and forget about that. It's a short form video that's a few minutes long. They will change within that few minutes. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, I think for parents that when we can have something that is within, within their capability, their, their age capability of watching something like like 20 minutes of being able to sit down and focus and be entertained and come away with a message. Um, I think I really look for that as a parent rather than just like, I'm just promoting them just, you know, sh- well, shifting all the time. I would say too, it's that power, right? I love that interactivity and watching little ones with that power. It's like when they used to turn on the light switch over and over and over again, it's the same we thing, We do that right? too. Right? It's the same <laughs> thing. And so that's what they're learning, right? I do something and something happens. Mm-hmm. There's a big deal with regard to that and what they're learning. And so, you know, if you've you know, seen that video where the, you know, the baby cannot understand how a magazine works because nothing is moving, you know, it's like, that's their world. It's going to be so fascinating to watch these kids grow up, but it is power. And I love, I mean, we've been trying to do interactivity since before, you know, back in 95, 96. And so that's really cool. And so I love the idea of trying to figure out how do you do that um, and push that so that kids have that control, right? Have you ha- helped your girls guide them through from when they are out of the age range of uh, age bracket for your shows, which you know are good and wholesome and they're learning something really great? And then beyond, what do you do? Do you just let them go? You know, when our, once our kids are no longer interested in watching really simple shows, what do we do? Yeah, so hard, right? So we started at that age when they were really kind of going, we started to do a little bit more co-viewing so I could understand what was happening, right? They went right into the Disney shows and the live action Disney stuff. And so I needed to want, I wanted to watch it with them. I wanted to understand it's also my business, right? So (laughs) I was kind of like doing some research, fascinating. And I remember at a certain age, I was trying to think about what could I put on? And we ended up watching Gilmore Girls together, right? This is, you know, that kind of thing of like, oh, look, this is from the mom point of view, plus the kid point of view, plus I love it. Do your daughters talk as fast as those two? I'm (laughs) I'm like still rattled by the level of dialogue. They have a certain Which makes me be able to watch it over and over again, right? You're like, let's watch that again. You hear something different every time. You're like, what? No, but I have to say it was hard, right? My oldest just went to college or though she's home now, right? Congratulations. So thank you. And, um, but that idea that, you know, they're out of the house and you're just like, she had to say to me, like, remember everything that you've taught me. It's I'm good. Like, it's okay. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, what are you watching? What are you doing? What's happening? Wow. (laughs) Are you thinking about co-viewing when you're creating these shows? How else are you training parents to continue the, the really, um, you just, you know, lifting kids up messaging that is throughout, you know, a thread throughout all the programs you create? You know, we think about them with regard to, we always want co-viewing, right? You want to be able to make sure that we're not annoying parents, that they could actually lean in and they can um, feel good about it if they're, when they are watching. But we're also not doing jokes that are for the parents only. Mm-hmm. Um, we always include the kids. And so that's another thing that we do that's a little bit different than some other people. Um because we want those four-year-olds to laugh, you know, and that's the most important. I remember I'm always the the annoying one around the table in the writing room going, okay, yeah, you all laughed, but let's see what the kids had to say. <laughs> Not just about making my writers laugh. Um, but uh, we also don't want to be too perfect. You know, when we first did Daniel Tiger, Mom Tiger um, used the mad strategy for herself because she was freaking out about something that Daniel did. And it was so important to show that mm. Daniel's like, mom, you're getting red in the face, mom, you're raising your voice. And so like, just to show that we have these strategies that we can use and that we're not perfect, but you know, there's also that, uh, that 
responsibility you feel like to showcase some of that modeling too as well. So important. We we talk about that a little bit more than a little bit with four four kids each of us under the age of 6. There's a little oh, more, than, more than a little bit of like how do I show my kids when I'm struggling? How do I show my kids when I'm when I'm not having a perfect day or when I don't even 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 more than that I'm not having a perfect day and I don't handle not having a perfect day perfectly. And um and and having them not be afraid of tripping and failure or trying something and not having it work, trying something a bunch of times and and still struggling. What's your sort of advice for, for, you know, that modeling behavior? And are there any specific scenarios you think parents probably on the whole try to, um, try to like hide from their kids, even now, like dealing with anxiety, dealing with latent sort of just general paranoia and nervousness and, and everything else is there. I think that's something most parents, I certainly tried to shield my my kids from but would your experience say that we probably shouldn't that we maybe should sh- let them in a little bit more you know it depends on the age so again the preschool i always talk about it like a, i think about it as like a fence or like a, a border that we're trying to protect our kids right so like you're when they're little you're really close quarters with them all the time and then you can let them run around the backyard when you have something that you can contain them in and then they can run around the neighborhood when you feel like they're old enough to do that on their own and you're just constantly growing up and then they go to New York city and you're like, okay, you can do this. <laughs> um, so you're constantly, you know, opening up those um, boundaries. But I also think one of the things that I feel like is different about our parenting, our generation of parents today, that was different than the way we grew up. One of the things is that we show when we fail, we also bring them into the conversation about that. Right. So my parents would do whatever. And then I never knew the resolution, you know? And so that feeling that we can showcase, okay, so we, we went away, we talked about it. And this is what dad and I decided or whatever, you know, like just so that they're, they can understand that there was closure to that and there's no fear around whatever it was that we showcased um, was going on. But in terms of anxiety, when they're little, you know, I always talk, I, I would not put the news on, right? Like I didn't want to watch it in front of them. It's so scary. And now with social media and kids being older, it's just important to make sure that they're reading um, and debating and understanding all the different resources and different information that's out there and having that conversation. Well, and you, something else we've touched on here too, is like, you want them to come to you when they have a question or when they're confused about something and they want it. You always want them to be able to have an honest, to know that they can ask you a question and you'll give them an honest answer. It might not be the complete answer. It might not be, you know, include every detail, but it would be an honest one and that, that you can have that trustworthy conversation. I'm really curious to know what TV shows did you grow up on? Oh, and I was going to say, and we only answer the questions that they ask. I remember, I remember when Hope was little and she, and I was pregnant and she wanted to know where babies came from. Right. And she was little, she was like little, little. Yeah. When's your sex ed show coming up? Please let me know. We are petrified of the puberty zone around here. So when is your sex ed conversation happening? (laughs) I would say Nick Kroll's Big Mouth is one of those really great shows for that. I think because it's edgy and it's cool, but it's also has that interesting, you know, really fun. Oh my God. So funny. You have to watch the first few episodes at least to see. Um, but that's a good one for that. I think that, um, and I remember asking and I paused, which is one of the things I write about in preschool clues. Cause the idea that you just like take a minute sometimes can save you. Mm. And so I took a minute and she looked at me and she's like, like, like construction paper or you know, like crayons or markers, like what? And I was like, oh, thank God. I can give a two-year-old <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, I grew up on Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. I was that generation of kids. And then when my little brother was into Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and kicking at the TV. I was like, all right, this is kind of interesting. Like, what could we do now instead of kicking at the TV? What can we do to include them into the story, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it would be so fun to think about 
you know, media. I don't, I wasn't thinking about that then, but of course, as I got older thinking about like, how could you include kids in the show? You know, I just think about our favorite TV shows, right? And all I want is for the friends, you know, all of the friends characters to turn around on the couch and include me into their conversations. <laughs> you know, it's like, just bring me in. How did you come up with Blue? And how did you come up with um, Tiger? Like they, you, you sat down and you're like, I'm going to make a dog. And the dog is blue, but it's a girl, right? <laughs> but how, yeah. do you, how do you come up with um, an idea like, I'm going to make a dog and it's not going to be a cat. And it's not going to be a monkey. Um, was there was there a very did you just have this like epiphany? So it was originally a cat, so I need to tell you that. But oh. um we wanted to do storybook animation and we wanted to do something that was gonna stand out. And today it's even more important, right? Like when you're creating something and putting something on the air, it better stand out amongst a million things that are out there. And so we wanted it to look like that. And so the idea of putting a live action guy in an or a person in an animated background was something that we thought would be really interesting and cool and look different. And I'm still really proud of the fact that it looks really different than what's on TV. Um, and I love how close we get to the camera when we were auditioning, you know, this this most recent time we auditioned and we opened it up to anybody. We're really interested in um, who can connect the most to the camera. And that's where Josh came in. Um, but that way that we kind of really look through the camera and you feel like he's looking at you or she's looking at you. Like we definitely looked at um, thinking about casting in that way. And then, and then because we were shooting on blue screen, we kept talking about blue. We're like, all right, so then we get on the blue screen and then we do the blue and then we do blue screen. And so then we were drawing and Tracy was drawing this cat and we had this cat and another, and this is what happens, right? They were like, oh, we have another show that's going to have a cat in it. So you can't do a cat. And we were like, oh, we have no show now. Like there's no way we can do the show. It's over. Um, and then Tracy drew, she's like, I used to always draw this dog when I was little. And so she drew the dog and I was like, well, there you go. There's the puppy. There's blue. And then we had no money for the pilot. And so Tracy started barking and we were like, you can bark. Like nobody else can bark. Go bark. And so now, of course, we make sure she's barking for everything. She's got to be our blue. Oh, that's so funny. That's yeah, so she gets funny. more notoriety from her family for being blue than for creating the show <laughs> with me. <laughs> that's that's um, so funny. Um, all right. I know that we have, to, we have to let you go. Have you been prepared for the favorite thing? What we do, we ask you what your favorite thing is. It's just something something that you like could be, I don't know, anything that you want. Uh, well, to stay on the media theme, I would say the thing that I'm enjoying the most right now is the girls are re-watching with me, The Fosters. Um, and I've been loving that. Again, it's older than your kids, so I don't know if that's going to be so helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This thank was you so guys. much great stuff. And thank yeah. you truly for your incredible, incredible shows. I know we are oh. all so grateful to have those. Thank you. It was lovely to meet you both. Silly mommy. The giggles. So I loved our conversation with Angela. She is, first of all, I, can, I still can't get over the fact that she is the, the brains behind all of these shows that my kids have grown up with and, and characters that they love. And most importantly, you know, there's so much content out there for kids right now. And they're, it, it's, it's overwhelming in terms of filtering through what's age appropriate and also what's what's, you know, uh, positive for their development long-term. And I just love that she has such a mandate from a psychology background and also as a mother and also as someone who has, you know, her history with, with Fred Rogers, um, to, to really foster the kids where they are and to bring their emotional best selves out and to, and flourish and, um, and to give them this sense of 
security and predictability while also engaging them to learn and try new things and 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 um not be afraid of things as as uh as I think some some content that's overwhelming or not age appropriate can do for kids at a really formative age. Um she I also just think is one of those people who I mean to be creative the way that she's been creative for over 20 years it takes a lot of awareness of what is the current conversation and what current events are impacting kids lives in the biggest ways and i just think she's she's navigated that so brilliantly and really um really let kids be a part of the conversation in a way that um that still allows them to flourish and grow and keep that innocence intact as well one of um my girlfriends who's probably one of the more influential mom figures in my life um said to me uh, her daughter is 17 now. Um, and so I always go to her for advice. But she said to me, the thing that everybody says that children are like sponges. But that's usually where that conversation stops. And children are like a dry sponge, she said. And at the beginning, when you first put the sponge in water is when it's going to absorb the most amount mm -hmm. of water. Mm -hmm. And so those roots, those formative years, as we talk about, are extraordinarily important and really giving them the time and the childhood and the and the, the proper tools and, and lessons and innocence in many ways to allow them to, to watch shows like this that they're going to find to be entertaining and they're going to find to be influential and, and hopefully are, you know, it's going to teach them very good things or obviously is teaching them very good things. Um, so I really, I thought of that a lot about that during this interview in terms of that she really is helping to fill our child's sponge at the most, you know, absorbent place in, in their, in their childhood. I love that analogy. I'm going to remember that. So good. Um, and you're absolutely right. This, this forms their viewpoint for the rest of their lives, what they're, what they're filled with right now. So, um, amazing to have great content like Angela has continued to put out. And now it's time for our favorite things. It's time for our favorite things. So today, my favorite thing is, in full disclosure, is a brand that I have teamed up with um, and that I work with right now. Um, but I teamed up with them. They, they are not sponsoring this podcast at all. Um, and this definitely is obviously all of our favorite things are not things that we are sponsored to talk about. Um, I just really, really like the product. So my uh, one of my friends, Renee DeResta, who is a literal genius. You know when you call people a genius and then there's like people who have like taken the exam and they're like a genius. Like she's like, she's like that kind of genius. Like she's a real, she's like a real genius. She has uh, her third child on the way and she was telling me um, about this really cool um, app that's hands-on. So it's on the, it's on an iPad, but then it also comes with these pieces and it actually can watch through this sort of mirror device that you put on top of the iPad what the kids are doing. And it's very age, it's from ages, I believe, three to 10. Um, and it's coding and spelling, and there's different dress up games that teaches them tons of different things. They have Disney brought into it, there's Hot Wheels brought into it. So the kids get like super excited. 
especially during this time when we realize that our kids are getting way more screen time than they should get. And that, you know, learning apps are really, really helpful. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm coming away from this quarantine thing is I was very against them learning on iPads. And I really need to like go with the flow and realize that they, it really relates them. But I love that at the same time, they're actually using their hands and, and interacting rather than just like touching the screen and pressing things and pressing things and staring at the screen. So I love it. I love the packaging. I love, um, the, how it really grows with them. Um, so even, even my two-year-old is obsessed with it and he's out of the age range, but he like comes in and he wants to do it with them. Um, and so I, I just, I highly recommend taking a look at it. They have kind of like beginner packages and then it, you can add to it and add to it and add to it. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. Um, they're also as a very like kind brand. Um, we just did a campaign where they gave away, um, I believe it was 375 to schools in need. Um, and so it's just, I just, I love a brand that not only has a good product, but they're very, very thoughtful as well. No, I love it. And I love that there was, it looked like there was that tactile approach where they're watching something on the screen, but they're also working with their hands and doing something in real life too. So it sets into two different parts of their brain. It feels like my favorite thing this week is more food. Um, because I do think that it, first of all, it's the question I get asked all the time, you know, how do I deal with picky eaters and how do I help introduce healthy foods to my kids? But also in this time when we are cooking so much more at home and certainly as parents, like trying to iterate within brand, within genres of food we know our kids already like, um, pasta seems to be something that a lot of kids are into and you can do a lot of things with it and they'll still eat it, which is nice. I, I try to find ways to limit how much, um, how much gluten my kids are exposed to, you know, obviously they still eat gluten work. We are, if you have seen me ever on Instagram, you know, we're big fans of croissants and breads and baked goods and things. And we get tons of them in, in certain places where I don't think that the, the, the alternative is worth it. But, um, but when I can, I really like to find, find good gluten-free alternatives. And pasta is one of those places where the gluten-free versions sometimes can be really gummy or really like have no texture to them. And as they're my children, you can imagine my children are pretty picky when it comes to pasta texture. So um, I have found this brand called Andean Dream Quinoa Pasta. It is like the most sort of just Wait, you know, what is it like called? 1970s style oh, crunchy and Andean, like like the yeah, Andes. The Andes. Yeah. It looks oh. like you get it at the health food store circa 1975, which makes me all the more excited about it because it is just it feels like they put all their money into the product. Um, it's gluten-free, it's non-GMO, it's allergen-free, it's also corn-free. Um, and it's basically made from uh primarily quinoa and then some rice as well. And when I tell you the texture on this pasta is just so it has like a beautiful chew on it. It looks exactly like normal white flour pasta. Um, and I, I, all of my children, including my baby, who I'm now chopping this up for and like mixing it with her veggies and things, um, have really enjoyed eating it and have not given me any grief about it. And I love that it's, you know, you, quinoa is nice because it's a seed. So you're getting, um, you're actually getting complete protein with it as opposed to just, you know, just the carbohydrates of greens. So something that's kind of a fun, easy swap, something to keep in your pantry for quick dinners. Um, something that you yourself may want to enjoy too. So um, figured that was a little pantry staple I would share with you guys because we've really been enjoying it. All right, you guys, that's it for this episode. Please remember to tell your friends about Mom Brain and grow our tribe. And of course, 
the ratings and reviews, I know maybe it's annoying to have to go find where to put that into, uh, you know, after you listen to us on, on whatever platform you're finding, but um, it helps us so much to get your reviews and to get your ratings. So please take a minute and throw us a five-star review if you have a few words to share with us too. We always love to hear from you. And you can send us your questions if you have longer questions or thoughts or ideas for people we should talk to. You can send us at mombrainpod at gmail.com. And of course, we are on all of the social outlets you could possibly want to interact with MomBrain on. So look us up and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. This is MomBrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. MomBrain is a Gallery Media Group original production.